Hi and welcome to the Mount Hamilton Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. For more information, go to mhbc.ca. Have you ever come across parents who think that their children deserve some sort of special treatment? Yeah. I'm sure you have. We all have, right? Maybe you have a child who's in recreational sport and the coach of the team has a child on the team and you notice that that child gets to play a little bit more and when the coach is pushed on this a little bit the coach says don't worry my kid's going to elite soon anyway they're going to end up in the NHL or the NBA or the national team somewhere so you don't need to worry about it or maybe there's a father on your school council, on your parent council, who always pushes for pizza day that his child's specialty pizza be the one that comes to pizza day. Yeah, we'll have pepperoni and cheese and we'll have the veggie lovers for my son. Or maybe you work in a store and at Christmas you're hiring extra staff and the phone rings and it's one of the mothers of one of the teenagers who applied for the job. And she's just calling to let you know how suited her child is for that job. I see laughter right there. (laughs) Someone has probably experienced that. It's fair to say we all have some bias for our children. And it shows up in my family too. My son, um, before he was married, he always said, my mom thinks I'm the funniest person in the world. Because I would laugh at all of his jokes. Now clearly he wasn't the funniest person ever. And when I told him I was saying this, he said, yes, but perhaps I'm in the top 10. Mm -hmm. I still laughed at all his jokes. And then after he got married, his wife became the biggest supporter who laughed at all his jokes, and I was relegated to second position. And my daughter, well, we're a sports family. My daughter played water polo. That's for the kids on their sheets, water polo. My daughter played water polo, and I have a very meek and mild husband, Gary, but I'm telling you, when that ref made a bad call, he let them know. And if you're a grandparent, I don't need to say anything else. We all want the best for our kids, right? Well, today in our reading, we're going to meet a mother and her sons, and they are all eager to get special treatment. We don't know the mother in this family. We don't know her name, but she's the wife of a man named Zebedee, and they had two sons, James and John. Their family um, probably had some wealth or influence because he had a successful fishing business. Now, James and John had a nickname. It's a really good nickname. They were called the Sons of Thunder because I think they were a little rambunctious at times. And they, James and John, were followers of Jesus. And James and John, along with another disciple named Peter, were sort of like, Um, kind of you would say like maybe in an inner circle with Jesus because sometimes Jesus would invite them to do things with him that the other disciples weren't part of. But it wasn't just James and John who were disciples. The mother was also a regular member of the disciple group who accompanied Jesus as he traveled. So I'm going to invite Wendy to come up and she's going to read the scripture for us. The reading this morning is from Matthew 20, uh, verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. 
She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right side and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thanks, Wendy. So let's look at that a little bit slower. So in this account, Jesus and his followers are heading toward Jerusalem. And the mother comes to Jesus with her two sons. And she kneels down and she asks a favor. She said, he said, what is it you want? And she said, can you grant that one of my sons will sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom? Now, we may wonder where she would get any ideas about sitting at his right and left, but Jesus did mention earlier to his disciples that with the renewal of all things, he will be on his glorious throne. In addition, the disciples were still suspecting that Jesus, who was this long-awaited Messiah, was going to mount a campaign against the Roman Empire and likely expected he may have a glorious reign coming soon. On top of that, there was this idea that they were extra close to Jesus, and of course, there's always motherly bias. But for whatever the reason, they thought it was appropriate to secure the top two positions with Jesus. In response, Jesus immediately shifts his attention right to James and John. You don't know what you're asking, he said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they said, we can. And he said, you will drink the cup. But whoever's going to sit at my right and left isn't up to me. That's for my father to decide. What do you think that means? Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Well, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word cup is often used as a metaphor for suffering or even death. Jesus doesn't necessarily suggest that they will die for following him, although James does die fairly soon after that. But Jesus asks if they would be prepared to be rejected for their faith, if they would be able to face hostility and persecution when they held on fast to who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And while they're certain they can drink this cup, Jesus said they actually will, and then he defers decisions about who sits where to his father. Well, when the other ten disciples heard about it, the Bible says they were indignant. They were jealous. They wanted that place of honor just as much as James and John. So Jesus has a little bit of a meeting, and he calls them together, and he said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, now he's referring to the non-Jewish people living in the Roman Empire, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And then he says this, not so with you. Instead, 
Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Jesus points a finger at the behavior of the Roman rulers. They lord it over others. It's true that they have authority, but it seems that they elevate their importance. They think that they're more valuable than others. They have more power than others. They order people around. They're threatening with people. In truth, some of the Jewish leaders may have been just the same with those under their authority as well. But Jesus speaks against this and instead tells his disciples they're not to be that way. Instead, he said, if you want to be great, you must be a servant to others. And then compared it to himself. He came and he served and he went so far as to give his life as a ransom for many by dying on a cross. Now, at some point, you may have seen or even experienced the feeling of someone lording it over you. It's not a nice way to behave if you're the one with authority, and it's certainly not a nice place to be if you're the one who's having things lorded over you. We can see different world leaders do this all the time. It's super easy to find that, right? You just have to watch the news, check online, read tweets. You can find world leaders using threats, bullying tactics, using veto power, calling the shots with power plays. They hang tightly onto their authority and they want you to know that they have it, and then they lord it over others. But Jesus said, not so with you. Maybe you have seen the underbelly of this firsthand in a classroom. Maybe you've seen it in an organization. Maybe you've seen it in a church. Maybe you've seen it at home, and maybe right now you're remembering back to when you were a kid, or maybe some of the kids here can remember times it's happened to them. When an older sibling lords it over them with constant bossiness, streams of orders coming their way, and you feel like there's not much you can do about it. It's not that structure itself isn't important, but whether then or now, status that comes with pride and domination and lording it over others is only desired by one person, the one at the top. Status can make people see themselves as more important than other people. Status can make people at the top feel like they want to be noticed and respected. They want to give their mark, leave their mark um, on other people, impose their thoughts on other people. And this creates a lot of tension and unhealthy relationships, and it certainly creates a lousy culture. Those are the values we find in the rat race. Those are not the values we find in the kingdom of Christ. Jesus used this as an example to show the disciples a different way, and consequently, he's showing that us too. And as Jesus usually does, he flips everything upside down, and in this situation, he doesn't fail to deliver at all. True greatness, Jesus said, is in being a servant. Jesus came to be a servant, to serve, and he did. He served to the point of dying on a cross, taking our sin on him, and rising again. And um, that is the Jesus who, we, who forgives us. That is the Jesus who we follow. That is the Jesus who calls to us. 
The ultimate act of uh, Jesus required a unique self-sacrifice that we can't necessarily do. But we can practice what, is what it's couched in, and that is motivation. Not to be served, but to serve. If you want to be great in God's upside-down kingdom, learn to be a servant to all. But we all know that serving can be really hard. And we all know that serving requires some humility. And when I think about serving, I can think of a lot of things, but one thing that pops into my mind really fast is serving in a restaurant. Now, you may think, oh, you're getting paid for that. It's not really service, but I might beg to differ with you on that. I think back a couple of weeks to Sam, who was, um, who was uh, Sunday at home, and he told this story about how when he was a server, it required humility. And it required humility because he said, I would see customers who were regulars come in the door. One customer was a big tipper, and the other customer never tipped. He said it required some humility and true service to treat both tables equally when I knew I wasn't going to get a tip from one of them. And I was a server once too, and I can share that experience. I was a server at Mother's Pizza. Does anybody know Mother's Pizza? Okay. Does anyone remember Mother's Pizza back when I was 19 years old? So I served at Mother's Pizza. Um, my parents and uh, I moved out to British Columbia. I needed a part-time job. I thought, Mother's Pizza. I love Mother's Pizza. I used to go there all the time. They have great food, right? I knew the menu. I thought, this is a win. And so I applied for the job. I interviewed. I got the job. I was super excited. And then they gave me a bag which was my uniform. I failed to take into account the uniform. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you've seen the serving staff and thought, yikes, I would never work here because I would never wear that uniform. <laughs> well, that's sort of what happened to me. So I want you to picture um, a gingham red and white checkered picnic blanket and then hold that and now I want you to think of Little Red Riding Hood. Remember when the wolf dressed up as grandma? Those are the two images in mind, because this is what our uniform was. That's not me, but someone had a lot of courage to put that on the internet. It was a beautiful outfit. Um, I was very proud to wear it every single day. I found that that was my first step in discovering humility and service. <laughs> well, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about humility, and we talked about the centurion soldier who had all this power and all this authority, and he had all the ability to lord it over others and to, and to tell people what to do. And he comes across Jesus, um, and he asks him if he would help him because his servant was sick and very in a lot of pain. And um, he actually um, laid aside his power. He didn't actually threaten Jesus or tell Jesus what to do. He laid his power aside, and he went humbly to Jesus and asked him. And Jesus healed his servant. But lording it over does kind of come naturally, I think. We're really accustomed to pecking orders. Now, I bet every kid here knows what it's like when you go out in the playground. And there are some kids in that playground who are just really mean. And they hurt other kids. And they claw their way to the top. They're bossy and domineering and maybe even a bully. And they elevate themselves to thinking they're the king of the, 
the schoolyard. I've been on committees. When one person dominates and deems themselves the authority and then just barks at everybody else. Now some people take that as a challenge and they get right in it with them and let them know what they think, but lots of people just get very quiet and never share their thoughts. In our workplaces, we strive for promotions and positions of authority all the time. Um, we um, want to climb up. We want to get up to the top for a whole lot of reasons. But with all of these plays for promotion and authority, there's an author named Richard Foster, and he says that it likens us all to chickens. Now, I would imagine that the expression pecking order, that is the order of who is most important to least important, is familiar to you as it is to me. Richard Foster said that that expression actually comes from the behavior of chickens. But I wasn't sure if chickens are really the ones to blame for this less than complimentary phenomenon that goes on in our culture. So I did what every curious person does when they have a question like that. Now you might immediately react and think that I asked Alexa, or I asked Siri, or I Googled it, but I didn't. I went old school and I picked up this thing called a telephone, and I phoned a friend. I phoned Anne. Anne is in our congregation. And Anne and Martin have chickens. And I phoned Anne. And I said, is this true? Can you confirm that this is what chickens really do? And lo and behold, it's true. Anne said, it's absolutely true. Within a week of getting their chickens, the pecking began, literal pecking. She said some of them are quite mean and one of them was actually banished from the coop for bad behavior. <laughs> it turns out the one who pecks the most gets the most food and then becomes the strongest and then uh, secures the position as the top chicken. You might even say she is lording it over the other chickens to get there. There is, of course, a bottom chicken and there are uh, chickens all the way in between, each assigned their chicken status and once the pecking order is established, it sort of slows down a bit. The aggression gets less because the chickens know their rightful place. To this I say to the top chicken, beware of an uprising, oh chicken dictator. Which is funny because dictators aren't usually chicken. But it does come naturally to us. We may not want to be a bully. We may not want to lord it over others. We may not be seeking power and control. We may not want to progress to the next big thing. But it still might come more easily than the idea of being a servant. Maybe it's a stretch for you and you say, no, I can't relate to any of this. I don't want power. I don't desire status. But maybe you can relate more to this. It's a dichotomy found in the idea of servanthood. It's the difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. Choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant are two different things. They certainly overlap, but sometimes any idea of being a servant quickly becomes, how do I choose to serve? Now, the Bible absolutely uses language of serving, but the text today talks about being a servant. So when we immediately flip being a servant into how do I want to serve, it changes things. And it puts us in charge. And we decide where we want to serve, 
when we want to serve, how we want to serve, who we want to serve. Choosing to serve can actually make us picky in our service. We can pick and choose what service opportunities are there. And it can sometimes impact us because we could inadvertently find ourselves picking service opportunities that are self-serving in some way. They have some sort of payoff. Maybe it's that we become very visible to others and we like the idea that others can see just how good a servant we are. Maybe it gives us some public praise. Maybe it fires us up and we say, I only want to do things that I like to do. I only like to do big things, for example. So we only pick things that are big. I don't want to do any menial tasks. Or maybe we just leave it up to feelings. I feel like doing this. I don't feel like doing that. I don't think we consciously actually make those decisions. But if we've ever stopped to think about it, we may indeed find ourselves a little falsely motivated by our service. Sometimes being a servant means we do what needs to get done, even if it isn't something we would put on our own personal list of ways I would like to serve. I read somewhere that the towel is a symbol of being a servant. I think it comes from the account of Jesus when he was with his disciples just before a Jewish Passover called, a Jewish festival called Passover. And this was the last meal he was with his disciples prior to his crucifixion. In the first century, shoes were very different. They were open-toed sandals, unlike our shoes today. And the roads were very different as well. They were dusty. And as you can imagine, everywhere we drive or everywhere we take a bus, they walked. Sometimes they would walk from house to house or town to town, and the roads would be rocky and dirty. And consequently, their feet were very dirty. And what they needed to do was have their feet washed. But the task of foot washing was actually a menial job. It was a job of a slave. But even some Jewish slaves were not to do it. It was often relegated for Gentile slaves. Either way, it was considered degrading and lowly. It was considered extreme devotion if a wife washed her husband's feet or if children washed their parents' feet. It was considered extreme devotion to them. But in no case would a higher status person ever wash the feet of a lower status person. Yet on this evening, in the middle of the meal, Jesus took a towel wrapped it around his waist, bent down, and washed his disciples' feet. He took on the role of a servant when indeed he was the Messiah. True greatness, he said, is in being a servant. How can we embrace being a servant? How can we serve and not have hidden agendas? I think it's about our heart and about our awareness to God. First, if you're already serving, perhaps in church or another organization, take some time to stop and think. Stop and self-observe and ask God to reveal to you any self-serving motivations. 
like wanting to gain status, like wanted to be noticed, like wanting people to think you're really good. And as God reveals these things to you, and he will, be gracious to yourself and consider how you see yourself in that role and pray that God would give you a servant heart and take away those needs for self-gratification. And if you're considering taking on something new, ask God to be with you right, right from the start. Ask God to help you make decisions. Ask God to help you have motives that are not self-serving as you step into new roles. Second, become aware of God. Become aware of how God interacts with you in your day, day life. Maybe God impresses something on your heart. Uh, maybe God does something like I've heard people say, God taps you on the shoulder to get your attention. I've heard people say, God nudges, or God speaks to me. Years ago, I was at a grocery store, and I was just buying groceries, and out of the blue, I got this idea in my head. I should buy flowers for my friend from church and take them to her. And I, well, that was weird. Where did that come from? Totally out of the blue. And I stopped and I thought, could that be God nudging me to do this? Or is it just an idea that I had? And I decided, I thought about it for a second, I thought, well, it doesn't hurt either way. If it's just an idea that I got, it's still a lovely thing to do. So I did it, I bought the flowers, I drove out in the country to where she lived and I gave them to her. What I was shocked to, to find was her reaction. She opened her front door and I said, just thinking about you today and brought you these flowers. And she started to cry. And she started to tell me how meaningful it was that I brought those flowers to her at that moment. Now, I don't know if that was just an idea I got or if that was God nudging me or impressing on me, but I kind of think it might have been God because she had a need at that moment that I had no idea about. Being a servant means listening to the voice of our master opening our eyes and our ears to what God may have for us to do. Being a servant sometimes means our schedule is interrupted, and we have plans, and suddenly we're doing something different for a few minutes. Of course, we must be discerning. We must always be discerning. Sometimes if you get this idea or this thought, you might want to talk to a trusted person and ask them what they think about it as you discern whether this is something you should take action on or not. Um, last week we read about how Jesus was off to be alone after hearing some terrible news. He had just heard about the death of his cousin and he got in a boat to go away um, to another part of the land to have some privacy and be alone. And his plans changed when he arrived at the other side at the shore and all of a sudden, there were all these people there. He stopped his plans, and he healed the sick, and he ended up feeding over 5,000 people with this huge miracle. That was big. But we also just heard about how he did the task of a slave, and he served his disciples by washing their feet. Your day may not be interrupted to heal the sick or feed thousands of people with a great miracle, but you may sense the nudge of God to make time to serve a neighbor or a friend by driving them to the doctor or listening to them when they need to chat or by buying flowers for them or writing a note and mailing them a card. 
These servant actions are like salt. They season the world and they season the people around us. Serving others in small ways are not always planned, but they are ways to be a servant in our daily lives. And lastly, we should pray that God would help us go deeper than simply doing things and move toward being a servant. When we accept being a servant, we become something different. We see things differently. We lower our status. We put others before us, and that makes us live differently. We speak cautiously. We listen vigorously. We guard people's reputation, and we avoid gossip. We welcome people. We bear each other's burdens, and we give life-giving words to one another. And then, when someone wants to do something nice for us, we don't say no, we say thank you, and we accept it. As we enter this week, may we turn to God, and may we pray that God will transform our hearts and plant with us, within us a seed, a spirit of servanthood. Let's pray. God, it's really easy to get caught up in the world around us, it's really easy to get caught up in the values of the rat race and miss out on our call to have our hearts bent on servanthood. God, would you transform our hearts? Would you plant within us a spirit of servanthood? And as we go through this week, help us to be open to hearing from you. May we be people who hear and respond and willingly choose to be your servants to others in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.